Hey everybody, this is Adam, the co-host of the podcast you're about to listen to, depending on which podcast you're about to listen to. But either way, I am the, uh, you know, owner, founder, creator, whatever you want to call it, of the Unpops Network. And I just wanted to remind you that you can hear this show every single week if you subscribe to the Unpops Podcast Network on Patreon. Because if you're hearing this message right now, it means you're listening somewhere other than Patreon, which is fine. We love you all the same. But also, why not listen to the rest of the episodes because they're also really good. And I know what you may be thinking. Hey, Adam, it's because we don't have the money. Why don't you get off our backs? I understand that too. But also, just wanted to let everyone know, in case anyone didn't, that you can hear this podcast and most of our podcasts every single week for just $5 a month. That's not $5 each. $5 total. You get 10 to 12 episodes every week. It's such a damn good deal. Patreon.com slash unpops. Go check it out. And thanks. We love you. Enjoy the show. Okay. I don't know if you've ever listened to this podcast. I have. I enjoy. I was enjoying it on my bike ride over. Starts in a very specific way, which is me saying, "Hey, everybody, welcome to Pretty Scary." Pretty scary, boo. Pretty scary, boo. Oh, oh, oh. this was scary. I was very scared. Adam, we scared someone this time. You we did. did. We I... scared Carrie into sounding like a man. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. Oh. Poor, poor Carrie. She has like bronchitis or feline leukemia or something right now. She's she's got bronchitis, which is like the exact thing you can't have if you're going to podcast. Yeah. Because as we know, Adam, you can throw up during a recording and it's fine. Uh, it's fine, so to speak. <laughs> it's fine for the audience. I would say it's engaging for the audience. It was engaging for my co-hosts when it happened, too. Huh. I think I've laughed that hard since. <laughs> it was a particularly funny bout of food poisoning I had. Did you save the clip at all? I, I think the, the problem is I listened back to the clip, and you could hear me throwing up in the room but when you listen to it on the the clip it's like you can't hear it at all Aww. it's very disappointing i'm sure we know somebody that can fix that because honestly i uh <laughs> it was like a movie throw up you were like barf like, <laughs> it felt like that like no one should throw up like that that shouldn't be it was like anyway it, it was great it was so sudden we Vomit. were just we were just recording and all of a sudden I was getting sick. Bad yeah, like times. How, how you got like flash drunk a couple months ago. That was, yeah, I had really not been like, I'd, I've cut back on my drinking and <laughs> we did a podcast and Carrie brought wine and I had beer and she, like Carrie, like fed me two bottles of wine, like small bottles, but just passed them over while we were recording. And mm. I, and at the end of that podcast, I am a fucking nightmare. Mm. <laughs> It's uh, one of my favorites. I I got halfway through editing that podcast and I was like, I don't remember how this ends. <laughs> like, I don't remember signing. That's exciting. Off. Huh. It's exciting if you like hearing me go squawk. <laughs> can yeah. you can you recall the actual episode? I can dial it up. I'm a Patreon subscriber, as all people should be. I don't know what episode that was. Who knows? Kaylin? I don't either. I yeah. don't know. Yeah. I, I was. I, I, it was just all I remember is being the only sober one in the room by like a million miles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it wasn't even close. Oh, hey, I should no. mention Danger Van Gorder sitting in today. Hi, guys. Yeah. I'm I'm do, I'm g- c- carry getting carried away. Oh no. Yeah. Wow. Can yeah. we get Joe Kenda in here for the the comedy assists? Um, and no, know. Joe Kenda's library cop. We won't get a word in anyway. <laughs> I know. Mm. I'm just happy to be here and to be scared and pretty. What? Yeah, yeah, there you go. You are very pretty. Thank you. Scary. You know, I feel pretty. Good. I yeah. said scary after she said pretty, though. Yeah. 
I feel scary. Oh boy, so what are we talking oh, so about today? Scary. Oh, now he's singing now, so we You can stop that. You can stop that. What are mm-hmm. we talking about today, Danger? Uh, we're talking about the Tylenol murders of 1982, and the man's name I can't remember. Well, that's the thing. This, this, there's a lot of, a lot of talk about a man in this, but uh, interesting twist at the end. Oh boy, it's yeah, it's some real David Fincher, uh, real zigzags. Yeah, I remember when this happened because I'm old, and I was six. When this happened, and I uh-huh. lived in Illinois, I grew up in Illinois, so oh. I, I vividly remember this. And that's that's where all this. Oh, Elk Grove, Illinois. Yeah, oh, and boy. I remember the panic behind. Like once it happened, everyone was just fucking chucking Tylenol into the toilet. Why did I struggle to come up with the word <laughs> toilet? Well, I mean, I don't know. It's confusing. You, you got pregnancy brain. That's what it is. I probably took secondhand some pregnancy cyanide laced Tylenol. I hope not. I hope not. Also, because I'm going to need to give you mouth to mouth, and then that's going to that's going to end poorly for me too. Let's have the dog try first. Oh, she's so cute. So, uh, does anyone else remember the Tylenol murders? No, this is before my time. Yeah, I, well, of course, I don't think either of you were even born yet, right? Uh, Eighty-five, baby. I don't uh, know. Okay. Yeah, Danger and I are like the same. Yeah, twinsies. Yeah. Yeah. What's your what month is your birthday? June of 1985. Oh, July. We're what? We are. Yeah. We're peers. We're equals. You yeah. and I, we've been through so much together. Let me tell you, like, we actually knew each other, like, in a different life, like, what, 10 yeah. years ago? At least 10 years ago. It yeah. was weird because Danger came over to your house, Adam, after we were done recording Pretty Scary, and we just kind of stared at each other for a minute. <laughs> like, okay. I know you. Yeah, but I don't know how. What is what is what is this thing? And I have a really terrible memory to begin with. But it was, there was still like these little like you know little little bells going off here and there, and like oh god, what what is? Look, my bells are fantastic, sir. I okay, mean, you were, I'm you're sorry. giving me some guff there. Yeah, and it, and it turns out that Caitlin knew me from the very limited Orange County rock and roll scene. Back when I dated musicians. Ah, uh, yeah. Before yeah. before you wised up. Yeah. Well, I mean, the guy I dated during all that was a good, he's a good guy. He's not a bad guy. Yeah, he, and, and, I, and you know what? I really like his music. Let's talk about the Tylenol murders. Sure. The, the first death happened the morning of September 29th, 1982. And of course, it's got to be a kid because <sighs> we, we got to kick the story off in the worst way possible. 12-year-old Mary Kellerman from Elk oh, Grove Village, Illinois complained about a sore throat and a runny nose, so her parents gave her one extra-strength Tylenol capsule. Mary was dead by 7 a.m. That's harsh. That is extra-strength like a motherfucker. Yeah, that is, that is, that, that, that's messed up. Am I the only person that assumes Mary Kellerman was Irish? I don't know. I Ma- just... Matt Kellerman? Yeah, it sounds like a movie crime victim. Yeah, oh, little Mary Kellerman. She was taking some Tylenol <laughs> and she never woke up. Someone Bruce Springsteen would write a song about. Yeah. Mary. Yeah. Uh. Mary Kellerman, working at the at the burger stand. <laughs> working at the burger stand across from the old quarry. By the and Jersey had, Turnpike. Yeah. Definitely had an abortion that she didn't want, but she had a life ahead of her. And, and it was calling to her, and, and so she kept going. And Bruce Springsteen's married, so he had to talk her yeah, into but, it. Bruce Springsteen married a beauty, but, you know, whatever. Mary was just all right. <laughs> and that's the song. And Mary was just all right. But yeah! That, that was actually a reference to a Springsteen song. Was it? Oh, I, sorry. Yeah. <sighs> I don't know any references, Adam. You're both the I mean, same do, age, and you're the musician. Not, yes, I know, but I don't like, know any references. What does that mean? It, it means it, it means I look I I went into my bedroom in like 1996 knowing Star Wars and I emerged uh what is it t- ten years later not knowing much more past that. So you're George Lucas? Oh oh man hey I wish that guy that guy's a stud. <laughs> I wish too. Yeah, like the I'd, poor uh, man's, the poor man's George Lucas on our <laughs> podcast. Who knew well, uh, this? It's really. Lucky- so it turns out Mary's pill had highly, highly concentrated forms of potassium cyanide in it. Ouch. Yikes. And it killed poor Mary, but the same day 
the same fucking this is I think the deaths are the craziest part of this story because they're so rapid fire. uh, Bad choice of words in our current (laughs) current news cycle. I mean, it's it's cyanide, right? It's basically the poison that like if if it's stored somewhere, it's got the skull and crossbones on it. It's it's only purpose is the ending of life. Right. It's what spies put in their mouth and chew on if they get caught. Right. Hail Hydra. Yeah. Yeah. And, And astronauts. What? Oh, yeah. yeah. Is that a a real thing? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, the suicide pill for astronauts, it's a real thing for sure. Oh, I would not be able to stop talking that. I'd just be like, oh, boy, this thing's in there. I don't think you store it in your mouth, do you? No, they don't do. They just give it to you like, hey, this is. They don't even ask. No, they don't. Keep it in their mouth. They don't. I Googled that recently because I was watching Contact for the hundredth time in my life. And I was like, do they still do that? And yeah, they still do that. So these, so these deaths, these are the first, these are the first things that happen. There's no like people getting sick or there's no like wave of, no. Il- of illnesses. Well, or that's anything. how it's cyanide just... works. It kills you really fast. And, uh, there was the second person who died that same day was a postal worker named Adam Janis of Arlington Heights, Illinois. And at first they thought he had a heart attack, but that turned out to be cyanide poisoning. And this is where the deaths get really crazy. Adam's brother-in-law, or brother and sister-in-law, Stanley, 25, and Teresa, 19, come on, Stanley, of Lyle, Illinois, L-I-S-L-E, probably, Lisley, something like that. Let's say Lyle. They rushed home, obviously, as one does when a family member dies suddenly, and they came down with throbbing headaches, so guess what they did? They took Tylenol, and then they fucking died, which... These are young people. Everyone who died in this is relatively young. I think the oldest victims were 35. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah, Stanley died that same day, the same day he showed up to his brother's death, and then Teresa died two days later. Oof, hard Mm. times for the Janice family. And over the next few days, three more deaths. 35-year-old Mary McFarland of Elmhurst, Illinois, 35-year-old Paula Prince of Chicago and 27-year-old Mary Wiener. <laughs> Come on, Mary. What are you doing? Wait, I, don't, I don't get it. Her, her last name, it's Wiener. You know, like the dog. Like the dog. Yeah. Like Wiener dogs. Like oh, so you guys think dogs are... I get it. Yeah. And dogs, you, they got those little legs. Yeah, and They got those little legs. They're stubby, and they look at you like, help me, I help me, I can't jump. You ever see help a fat me. wiener dog? Oh, dude, dude, can we pull that up? Can we? No. Can, okay. No. No, we can't do that, dude. You're over Skype. You are, you are powerless. Just a wiener. I'm just a little wiener dog. Help me. <laughs> oh, help me. <laughs> oh, please, please do the rest of the episode with, uh, with the wiener, with the, with the wiener dog voice. Oh, yes, everyone took the Tylenol and died. Oh, yeah, a horrible tragedy. Rough. Rough, indeed. (laughs) So, in early October, investigators finally made the connection that all of these people died shortly after taking extra-strength Tylenol. And each victim had taken a gel capsule. Do either of you even remember those? I mean, they still make those for some medications. Is that like the squishy kind that you can basically squish with your fingers? and it'll... Well, its most important feature to this story is that you can take it apart and put other shit in it and then put it back together. <sighs> okay. And that's how this happened. This person uh, literally put cyanide inside the capsules. It's actually how I smuggle weed through the airport oh. now. In teeny tiny life tiny hack? Well, no, it's a brilliant <laughs> life hack because they have this stuff called valerian root, which they sell in any health food store. The best thing about it for this purpose is it smells like feet that were dipped in ass. <laughs> like It's the worst, most pungent smell. But if you open the capsules and empty it out, it looks just like this type of weed. It's called keef, and it's... Like a version of hash. And this stuff looks just like keef, but it's a slightly browner color, and keef is green. So you can empty out these valerian capsules and fill them with keef. And even if a person dumped them out and spread them out, the difference isn't enough that they would automatically go, oh, these are all different. What is this? And the smell of valerian root is so strong, they would never smell the weed. 
How big are these capsules? Yeah. Well, Keith is like hash, so it's a really concentrated version of weed, so you don't have to smoke as much of it. But they're just regular capsules. But when you're talking weed, you can get like a couple of grams at least into, I don't know, maybe 15 or 20 capsules. And then you just empty them out when you get to where you're going. It's a lot of busy work. It is a ton of busy work, but it pays off if you want to smoke marijuana where you're going. Mm. Okay. Who does? Yeah, who doesn't? But also in L.A., I think you can just take it through the airport. I don't think they give a shit. Yeah, it, they're, they're too freaked out about too many other things, guys. They've got a lot going on. It, yeah. It took them literally 20 minutes to figure out what to do with my guitar. Because I just, I just went to Nashville, and their big, giant X-ray scanner machine broke down, and it was the only one big enough to fit my guitar through. And they just stared at it for 20 minutes, and I'm like, my plane is starting to board right now, you monsters. What kind of gigantic Roger Rabbit guitar were you lugging around? It's, it's a Recording King resonator. It's steel. It's beautiful. My wife bought it for me when we got engaged. I don't you got know. a nice wife. Right? I think so. Yeah. Yeah, good job. Thank you. Good job, Danger. Thank you. So, like I said, uh, oh, I actually put in the notes, this is how I smuggle weed through the (laughs) airport. Uh, So prior to night, one thing this did is pretty much any any safety mechanism you see on food now or medicine or any of that shit, almost none of that existed before the Tylenol murders. Okay, so like the foil caps that you you, you pop it open? The foil did not exist. The Tylenol murders are the reason pill bottles have that foil seal now. Okay. Do you ever think about how all of this, like, all all of the safety measures around us come from either A, murderers, or B, dumb people? Yeah. History is a long learning process, and uh, some people really, uh, really set an example for the rest of us. Or it comes from cost savings. Because this is probably a thing. I'm sure at some point before this happened, someone was like, you know, someone could just open those and put shit in them and put them back on the shelves and people might die. And they're like, eh, we'll wait till it happens. Listen, all you need is one job in corporate America to realize that they literally wait till someone dies. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. It's uh, I mean, there's it's kind of there's that big airbag recall happening now. Yeah. It, uh, yeah, there's oh, and GM. Yeah, there's airbags that are shooting shards of metal into people's faces, Whoa. and I refuse to believe that didn't happen once when they were testing those airbags. Like, no, somebody just finally they just they just sliced and diced the wrong person with a good lawyer. That's all. I like that a <laughs> a dinger went off when you said that. Yeah, yeah. Caitlin yeah. is correct. <laughs> Great job, Caitlin. You win fifteen hundred dollars. Give it to her, danger. No, I don't have that. So a massive recall of Tylenol happened, obviously, after this. Because it came out that, like, hey, these people took specifically this pill, this Tylenol extra strength pill. Like, they put out the brand name and everything? Yeah. It was only extra strength Tylenol. Oof. And I think it all ended up being traced to one store. Okay. Also also keep in mind that, and actually not to go on this too deeply, but... Mass shootings are a good example of once one person basically shows how to kill a bunch of people at once, there's always going to be someone who does it after them. That's just what happens. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, there, um, yeah. Mass shootings are an example of that also, but there's, um, there was a rash of like this really specific kind of suicide in like the Philippines or not the, um, yeah. but it, it was like, yeah, like these teen kids all decided one day, Hey, you know what? I'm going to kill myself by hang or like one of the popular kids just like, nah, you know what? I'm sick of this. I'm going to hang myself. Seriously. Like that was it. Like it was just, I want to get out of whatever chore that I was about to do. And then it just inspired this rash of copycats. Well, it's kind of what Heather's is about also. Spoiler alert. Yeah. Is that a good, I haven't seen that. What? Yeah. Yeah. I think we talked about Heather's last time I was here. I still haven't seen it. He's no reference guy. Remember? Oh yeah. He's, He's our George Lucas minus all the money. Yeah. And the charm. Is George Lucas charming? I don't know. Nope. I don't. I don't think so. No. So we have, a, we have a spate of murder. Very. Let's specific talk murders. about one of the biggest tragedies of this whole thing, which is that before this happened, Tylenol owned thirty-five percent of the over-the-counter pain reliever market, and really? that dropped to eight percent after the Whoa. murders. Who was that eight percent um, that was still like, nope, 
Nope. Only Tylenol for me. I don't know. I mean, Bayer's well, own by listen, someone. Okay, for sure. Because people do this shit. They're like, hey, you want some hot chocolate? Well, is it Swiss Miss? Because if it's not Swiss Miss, I'm not going to have any. And I only like the kind with the marshmallows. Those people are real. Yeah. I am kind of one of those people. One of them. <laughs> yeah, I can tell. Yeah. I can tell. You yeah. the George Lucas here. I Trust me, I'm not surprised. <laughs> I just, you know, you, 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 get a, you get a product that works for you, and you want to stick with it. Also, availability plays into these things. You know, this was the 80s. It was basically the Wild West. They're loyal to you. You should be loyal to them. Mm, That's I wouldn't put it for that sure. So, but here's the thing. Tylenol actually managed to earn the public's trust back pretty quickly, mostly because they recalled everything right away Oof. and immediately went into, how can we prevent this? And that's when the, the huh. tamper-proof packaging happened but the thing is it wasn't just that there was like if you open a bottle of snapple or any glass thing with a metal lid and that that metal lid pops that shit didn't exist before this oh none of that shit it was the wild fucking west for product packaging because you could just open shit and no one would know is this was this the same era when people were concerned about like razor blades and candy bars? Yeah, yeah, kind of. Yeah. Like Yeah, that started all of this. Like this is when people started leaving like razor blades in playgrounds too. Same time. Like yeah. people just started doing weird creepy shit to kids basically. <laughs> and I mean it all seems like a, a desperate way of a society to say without actually directly saying it that we don't trust products and we don't trust companies. You know, why are you selling us these things? What are you trying to do? What are you, what are you trying to get over on us? Yeah. What, one thing I always point to when it comes to stories like this is uh, Ronald Reagan, because he's yeah. a fucking monster. But this is another thing. Like, you didn't... He- I mean, stories like this happened before the 80s, but shit like this really spiked in the 80s, and it all goes back to Reagan shutting down mental health facilities, which he did nationwide. And I mean, he did it in California first, then he did it here. And that's when you started mass shootings fucking started in the eighties, all the going postal shit. And this too, this, like there were so many like weird poisonings and people like the razor blade shit. Okay. Hold on. Now I agree with you. I think some of it has to do with the mental health thing. But in 1980, we also saw our first 24-hour news channel. Yeah. And I think that while you're not wrong, I also believe that 24-hour news cycles, if you even can call them a cycle, have way more to do with the duplication of this kind of mayhem than anything else, period. Right. But even then, like a a normal person doesn't watch a 24-hour news cycle and go, I want to replicate that. Just, but they weren't but they weren't getting those ideas and they weren't being publicized is the other thing. Like a bunch of creepy shit went went down in small towns. It's just that nobody told anyone else about it. Yeah, that's true. So I mean I, I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just saying that I mean, you're right. There are crazy people that are like, Oh, I need to kill President, you know, Reagan because Jody Foster told me to. Like I, I, I hear you on that. But at the same time, I think that a lot of it comes like the the the, the work that the Tylenol Corporation did moving forward had more to do with the fact that they knew that these, these acts would be replicated simply because people would know about them. And it's the kind of thing of like, hey, you know what? Our competitors are ready to take advantage of our reduced market share. Like, it's way easier with like a, with like a, a, a pain relief thing to just say, hey, you know what? I'm going to opt for Bayer instead, you know, because it's like an $8 kind of thing. It's, it's not like with the uh, with the with a car, like if a car comes out and it's got like, you know, insane uh, shrapnel airbags, that's a harder thing to replace, you know, yeah. because that's that's tens of thousands of dollars, which people might not have. So let's talk about the investigation that went into the Tylenol murders. It was a confusing case. Johnson & Johnson determined right away that the poisoning happened after the pills left the factory because why wouldn't they determine that? That sounds real beneficial to their perspective to say that it didn't happen on their turf. Yeah, I mean, obviously. 
so once that got out there, the, the hypothesis was that someone must have taken the bottles off the shelves, taken them home, and then brought them back and put them back on shelves, which, sure. How, do, do you know how far apart these murders happened? Well, they all happened, like, within a few days. I'm sorry, um, like, physically. Like, is it the kind of thing where a, a, something at a dis- it can only come from a distribution plant, yeah. or, or is it kind Well, of- they were all in the Chicago area. All okay. those... That's, that's a strong indicator that it was post-factory distribution. That's yeah. it's it, that might be a correlation, not causation, kind of thing. But that does help. Yeah, Johnson and Johnson's case. Well, yeah, of course. Who uh, were, were who, who were the real victims here? Who oh, were yeah. the, who were the real victims? Yeah, Johnson and Johnson. Oh yeah, Billy mm-hmm. Johnson and the other Billy Johnson. Is that their names? I don't know. I don't know the Johnson brothers' names, yeah. or if they're even brothers. Yeah. Ooh. Or if they're even related. Or maybe they're lovers. We're cracking this wide open. Wide open. Guys, they might be lovers. We're doing good work. So here's the thing that that made the investigation weird. When Johnson & Johnson recalled all of the bottles, they kept them. They didn't turn them over to the police. So the whole this happened after they left the factory was kind of hard to prove. Because I, I don't know how distribution works but okay i'm assuming it would have helped if the police could have looked at the bottles that were recalled why wouldn't the police have stepped in and said you need to turn this evidence over to us you know or something so we need to cooperate and and get some sunlight on this situation so we can figure out what's going to work somebody hasn't seen michael clayton no what's that oh that's a movie i'll good movie though. though heathers michael clayton that's a good that's a good list heathers yeah? and and Michael Clayton. That's a good day of movie watching. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you're having a good night, if that's your night. So the fact that Johnson & Johnson kept the bottles has led to a bunch of theories that there was more than one person tainting the medications. But I don't know how people are making that leap. Any ideas? Like, I, I I don't know how... Well, how they would go from you generally don't let the person that stands to benefit the most from declaring their own innocence from controlling the evidence. Well, yeah, obviously, but that's still that nothing about that points to me, at least points to more than one person doing this. It just that just makes it doesn't make any sense to me. It, well, I, I mean, if you think about the damage that that one bottle did to that family, if you're. If you just want to kill a bunch of people, you don't need to... I mean, this is a good way to be in a lot of places at once. Right. <laughs> so I don't think... I also don't see how it could be the same poison. Um, yeah, that would be weird. So then you'd be suggesting that it's a network of people. Because that would be the only answer to that, right? It would have to be a network of people. It was probably... Like, since it was the 80s, it was probably a satanic cult. Fine. It was a satanic cult, most likely. But... Then I would say that it would be probably the most inefficient effort put forth by a group of people yeah. to kill people in this way. It's either it's either a very effective one person or a very ineffective group of people. And the moment you get multiple people involved in a single act that any sunlight hits it, it's going to blow up. Like the less likely that thing is to say. St- to stay a secret or, or secure or whatever. Also, the timeline would suggest that it's only one person because these people all died in a relatively short period of time. And when you think about how how long a bottle of Tylenol will sit in your medicine cabinet, because no one's taking that for fun, like, at all. That's right. Not so, but also, so, and also, if it was, like, a, a thing coming from a distribution center, it would have been spread out more through Chicago, yeah. at least, I would think. That's why I do think it's one person. Yeah. I, I, I do think it was post-distribution center. And, and to your point about people letting Tylenol sit, when you buy it, it's usually because you need it like right in that moment. Right. So I think definitely more people would have died if there were more people involved. I, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I yes. And I mean, if people buy things for, I mean, I don't know. There are doomsday preppers out there that probably have cases and cases of this shit somewhere. But anyway, just putting it, I don't know. I don't know. How crazy would it be if... The fucking apocalypse hits and you're safe in your bunker and then you come down with a headache and you take your 1982 extra strength Tylenol and die of cyanide poisoning in your bunker. But that was time now. 
<laughs> it was finally time. No, good. I think it's good because, you know, I always think about how annoying doomsday preppers are, and it, I would be so bummed out if that's like the gene pool that keeps us alive as a species. Yeah. Gross. So let's talk about James Lewis. Oh, oh, this gets so creepy. Well, good news, everybody. The police have a suspect because James Lewis became the only suspect because he wrote a ransom letter to Johnson & Johnson demanding $1 million in exchange for stopping the poisonings. Uh, that's overt. Yeah, which, that, that's a bold move. Like, but the Zodiac Killer like used a code, right? And he was like, you know, I'm going to do this crazy thing. It's going to be weird. The, the best story of anyone, any killer who was caught in this manner is absolutely the best. BTK killer. Yes. Because he basically asked police, if I start sending you my letters on floppy disk, will you be able to trace it? And they were like, <laughs> nah, man, you'll be fine. Send yeah. that to us. And he did. And that's how they caught him. So much okay. smarter than us. <laughs> okay. So dude sent a thing saying, hey, I'm responsible for these, hor- for these horrible murders. Now pay me directly. Well, let's backtrack a little and talk about James Lewis okay. because he's got an interesting life. He was born in Memphis in 1946 as Theodore Wilson. He was the son of migrant workers Theodore and Opal Wilson. In 1948, the family was living in Waco, Texas, and Theo skipped town. So that's that's dad leaving when he's two. Okay. And a few months later, presumably while he was still two, his mom left him and his two daughters in a transient motel outside Joplin, Missouri. Whoa, 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 whoa. Stop the clock. Mm-hmm. This is the exact plot to the song The Way by Fastball. Hashtag Fastball the Jets. That song is about two old people who died on the way to a music festival. Oh, is it? No, I didn't. Oh, I, I thought it was something. I thought it was. Wait, like, you tell your story of what you think that song. I thought about. that that song is about how they the, the children woke up and they couldn't find them, and like they had just thought, look. I haven't actually listened to the lyrics of the song uh, since it since it hit the radio. Hey, I was just excited to mention fastball. I'm picking up what you're putting down. Thank <laughs> you, Kate. We make yeah. such a good team. We do. Yeah. Fine. <laughs> Why don't you two just host this podcast? Yeah. So let's get back to James Lewis. James uh, Lewis, a.k.a. After, Theodore. After Fastball leaves them at a transient motel outside Joplin, Missouri. Okay. That, that happened. Uh, social workers discovered the kids and split them up. Floyd and Charlotte Lewis, a childless couple from nearby Cave Junction, <laughs> were granted custody of Theodore and renamed him James William Lewis. Why wouldn't, why wouldn't you what, just let the kid keep his first name? Or why would you split up the family like that? I mean, this was this was the 40s. We're, we're lucky we didn't like send them off to fight in World War II. Well, Are I mean, we really 48. surprised that social services dropped the ball? I mean, is that the no. conversation we're going to have? Because I, I think we're all, is all on track as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, no, yeah. You're right. This sounds They're consistent. Sounds yeah. pretty regular. So Charlotte worked in a shirt factory. Floyd was a sharecropper. It was a shitty existence made Hmm. even worse by the fact that uh, James Lewis, kind of a piece of shit as a kid. Floyd died when he was 12. Not when Floyd was 12. That would be a weird age to have adopted a kid by then. (laughs) But when Jim was 12, Floyd died. So Floyd lucked out there because for the next five years, Charlotte lived alone with James without plumbing or electricity. In 1964, she marries this other guy named Glenn Nelson. Uh, By that time, Jim is a teenager and a fucking menace. So much so that his mom takes to sleeping with a gun under her pillow at all times. Which, you know what? You adopted him. At that point, you get to be like, listen, this one is broken. (laughs) Uh-huh. Send get, like, me, a caseworker. Send me a replacement stat. <sighs> hey, social services, I need help dealing with this child that I've, you know, sort of taken in because the state didn't want to take him in. That's not social services job, that, Danger. Okay. I mean, they've got they've got all the money. What? I mean, the, the state. Has, I don't know what's happening. I'm just saying, like, we don't, we don't send the resources where they need to go, you guys. And uh, that's why I'm excited to tell you about my, the... the Whatever, cut this. <laughs> wow. Whoa. 
So I was gonna jump in, but then I just didn't. Ah, uh, you could have, dude. Uh, you could have bailed me out. Come on, look. No, don't be I, afraid. I'm not you, good at any of this. You were really on one, and I thought I think I'll just let him do this for a little. <laughs> I was interested to see where that was going, and it just went. Yep. Just went. Yep. It was this fun. Yeah. So a couple more highlights about this idiot's life. When he was 19, he chased his mother with an axe. Whoa. And was charged with assaulting his stepfather, breaking several ribs in a beating. In 66, he overdosed and was committed to a Missouri State Mental Hospital with a diagnosis of catatonic schizophrenia. So he would have been 18 here, yeah? Yeah. He's Michael Myers. Yeah, kind of. Uh... Because catatonic schizophrenia, that's a Michael Myers situation. Right. But somehow he pulled out of that to, oh, this is the best part of the catatonic schizophrenia and suicide thing. He later explained that the suicide attempt and all of his fights with his parents were just an elaborate plan hatched by the entire family so he could avoid the Vietnam draft. Huh. Yeah. People are always honest about that kind of thing. Which. Why would he lie? Good plan. A little... Kept him out of the draft. A little elaborate. A little ornate. Yeah, he could have just pissed on himself or something, right? I mean... Go down there high? It was... They, well, then he get arrested. I don't know. I, I would do that to keep my son out of the draft. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Would you I chase mean, him around with an axe and, and break his ribs? No, I would just calmly explain how I'm going to tell the cops that he did. And the reason why is because I don't want you to fight this forever war. I want you to just you just go ahead, just hang out in an institution. It will not be as bad. I will mail you cookies. Love, mom. Yeah, I I, th- I think I would have opted for that. Huh. That's not what happened. No, but... of course not. No. L- let's carry on. He uh he gets married at one point to hey. a woman named Leanne Miller. Good for him. They have a daughter, Tori really, Ann. But really quick, this is just I just got to say this. If you're listening to this podcast and you're single. Let's be honest. A lot of people who listen to this podcast are single. Oh, sure. This is great news because I tell everybody and no one listens. There's someone for everyone. Mm -hmm. Yep. I'm just saying. But ladies, don't settle for Michael Myers type. Okay? You think you can fix him, but before you know it, he's chasing you around with an axe. Exactly. And you're having a daughter with Down syndrome, which... That's what Tori Ann had. So, so that's another strike against this guy's life in general. Now he has uh, a daughter with Down syndrome that he has to take care of. Uh, Maybe the way to say it is he's the worst person to have a daughter with Down syndrome. Right, because yeah. he's got schizophrenia. Right. Like, this is, this is the worst case scenario for the girl that didn't ask to be here. So yeah. Uh-huh. Right. That sucks. So they they end up opening, he and the wife open a business, which, again, Lewis and Lewis business, you're married. Just call it fucking Lewis Tax Service or whatever. I mean, Johnson & Johnson, a family corporation. I don't get it. Uh, But Lewis and Lewis business tax service. (laughs) Yeah. Nailed it. And uh, it, they open this in a rundown part of Kansas City. I don't know why that matters. It's, look, it's due for an upswing, that part of Kansas City. <laughs> it's still due. I've been there. Sorry, Kansas City. You're a great town. I don't know why I did that. But it is true. You could still use some revitalizing. So one day, an elderly man named Raymond West shows up just kind of as a client, but becomes a family friend. In 1975, they end up moving close to Raymond West. On Monday, July 24th, 1978, West is reported missing. Oh. On on that Wednesday, police returned to West's home and saw a note stuck on the still-locked front door <sighs> written on Lewis and Lewis letterhead. Uh. Master criminal here. And it reads, Ray is out of town until Thursday. For further information, call Jim. Oh, my God. There's an expiration date on that action. People are going to eventually get concerned. Yeah. Why? Why do you... <sighs> Because I feel like everyone already knows where this is going. Right. Let me put my name on this missing person case. And so the police see this, and they immediately kick in the door. But James Lewis had a plan, because there's another note that says, please don't disturb until after one, sleeping late, Raymond. Okay, so there's a note on the front door that says, Ray's out of town. Don't yes. worry about it. And then there's another note on the inside saying, hey, it's Ray, and I'm Raymond, and I'm, I'm sleepy. Leave me alone. Right. Because people were expected to see that note and then proceed anyway. Yep. 
Okay. These are some rude people in uh, in Kansas City, just barging through notes. And family members were quick to point out that Raymond never signed notes as Raymond. He would sign checks and business documents, but otherwise he always went by Ray. And this is the detail that really confuses me. Okay. We go from that. He only signed his name as Ray, so the family member's concerned. So here is the, the detail that really is confusing to me. They go to the house. They find these two notes. The family is like, hey, he probably didn't sign that. 21 days later, they find Raymond West's body in the attic of the house. Uh... It took you three weeks to go, let's check the attic. Maybe he's in the attic. Yeah, there's more to this house than just these front rooms and these notes. I I need to know what transpired in those 21 days and what happened on that 21st day that finally prompted them to check the attic. Oh, the smell. Mm. It'll be it'll always be the smell. That just means that they were lazy and they're like, "All right, well, he'll he'll turn up at some point." The smell would have been there like a week like earlier than that. Yeah. But, Which kind um, kind of leads me to believe they just like, I don't know. That's a weird detail. What You know what this is like kind of reminding me of is Robert Durst. Oh yeah. Yeah. When he went to Texas and then he dismantled his landlord yeah, because this, uh, when they found the Raymond West upstairs, both legs had been severed at the hip joint. Ugh. The right leg was laying near his head on the right side. The other was rested further down on the left. Both feet had black socks on. What kind of weirdo leaves their socks on when they're getting murdered? Not me. And not That's Jimmy Buffett. Certainly no. not me. I don't even like to get murdered with the lights on. Uh, <laughs> It's a vulnerable feeling. Yeah. That was a really funny joke. Thank you, Danger. Yeah, I love that. Okay, so presumably Lewis and Lewis financial crime people chopped this person up and then got bored and left? It seems that way. And (sighs) Okay. So here's the thing. The... (laughs) When Caitlin says this is reminiscent of Robert Durst, that's because this guy gets off. Oh, yeah. wait. Okay. The when it, it Oh, I should, before I get to him getting off for this, the police also found a $5,000 check drawn on West's account, dated July 23rd, the day he went missing, uh, written to James Lewis. So that's, if nothing else, that's a lot of circumstantial evidence. And you can presume if he dismembered the body, there might be some physical evidence. But, oh, also they found white rope, a black attache case with papers bearing West's name, a trash bag, and a bundle of Raymond West checks in Lewis's car. So, obviously, he gets arrested. They charge him with capital murder. So that Magic 8-Ball says signs point to yes. Right. Okay. But then yeah. a few days later, the trial gets, or the case gets dismissed. A few days later? Uh, well, oh, no, I'm sorry. A few days before the October 79 trial date, the case was dismissed because his lawyer successfully argued that police had no probable cause to arrest Lewis the first time. Uh, And they also forgot to read him his Miranda rights. So every piece of evidence they had was deemed inadmissible and he got off. Well, maybe that helps sort of shed a little bit more light on that 21 day gap because they they might just not have had probable cause to enter the home. And because everything, everything leading up to that is circumstantial. You can't right. actually justify getting into the house. So maybe they, they kind of, you know, played a little jazz with it to finally get into the house after 21 days. And then they ended up paying for that. Because it just sounds like they just didn't have enough. They knew it was him, but they didn't have enough evidence. Right. A lot of my family are cops, and I've asked them, like, hey, what happens if someone doesn't get read their Miranda rights? And as I understand it, like, nothing. Like, it, it's it's good that these people, like, know that they have a right to an attorney and what that. But, I mean, like, a failure to read a Miranda rights doesn't invalidate the presence of evidence. Well, but it also just depends on whether or not you have a lawyer that's willing to ask. Yeah. Hmm. And you know, it, lawyer of the century over here. And El- well, I'm, you know, it just depends. Like, you, you know, if you get somebody in the public defender's office who's like super hungry and trying to build their career and you luck out in that way or you can afford a good lawyer, that's the stuff they look for right away. 
And if you don't, then they don't. <laughs> so. And I get the sense that this was a good lawyer. I mean, for one thing, one of his arguments in court was uh, it's one thing to kill somebody. It's another thing to dismember them after they're dead. And while dismembering somebody after they're dead is repulsive and repugnant, it's not homicide because that was their argument. He found the body and just dismembered it. That's literally, that's literally the same defense that Robert Durst's attorney made. That's the right. exact same Ugh. one. So he got some kind of weird charge of like improper use of disposing a body, something like uh, improperly disposing a body, but not murder because they right. couldn't prove he did it. Wow. But he did admit to chopping up the body and throwing it in a, in a lagoon. Huh. Well, at least he went as far as to throw it in the lagoon. These guys just like left it in the attic and just prayed it wouldn't smell. I mean, neither of them got, there were no ramifications in either case, so. Okay. I think they both did good. I think they didn't do good. I think they did, they were, they were bad. Agree to disagree. They did a bad thing. Agree to disagree. So after this, after he gets off for this, his tax business starts failing. (laughs) Gee, I I wouldn't want to take my business to to, to Lord Choppy's, come back to me, I'll have a better one. This doesn't seem like a details guy, let's be honest. No, <laughs> no, he, he's definitely a very high level thinker that doesn't do the low level thinking that is supposed to lead to that. It's just the grand plan and everything else will fall into line. And apparently it does because that's, uh, why, that's why me and Adam have CPAs that we reach out to once tax season rolls around, because that is not my jam. Nope, no, nope, no. Nope. Wait, do people do their own taxes? I certainly don't. God, no, not me. No, hell no. I got a guy. I got a a guy, and he has a door for the candy. I got a really beautiful woman, actually. Like this real hot lady. It's great. When I show people pictures of my tax lady, they're like, are you serious? I'm like, yes. I mean, you got got one on your phone? Anything you can show us here during the show? Yeah, she's um, she's in her wedding dress. I'll send it your way. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, that that gets even better. That added a, a, a whole level of creepiness. Caitlin, you just know what I'm into, and I really appreciate it. <laughs> what did I say earlier? I'm always on your team. Yeah, I, I just really, really dig that. So this guy, his tax business starts failing. He starts committing all these crimes. The police catch up to him in Kansas City. So he and the wife hightail it to Chicago. Uh-huh. And they only took what their 69 Rambler could carry. Sweet ride. Because this is literally a fucking movie. So they find jobs. Uh, Leanne starts doing bookkeeping at Lakeside Travel, which is owned by Miller Brewing Air Frederick Miller McKay. And this, I swear to God, all ties into the time on all murders. Oh, right, 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 right. Yeah. We're still talking about that. Okay. So since taking over Lakeside Travel a year earlier, Frederick McKay had experienced problems managing the business. And Leanne saw that the business might be ending. Uh, There were overdrawn accounts. Airlines had pulled their ticketing privileges. All kinds of shit. So before she quit her job in the spring of 82, Leanne stamped a stack of blank envelopes with postage from a Pitney Bowes meter. What does that mean? Pitney Bowes? Oh, that's just a company. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They made business machines. Got it. And the postmark said April 15th, 1982. The following Friday, Lakeside Travel went belly up. They issued 18 final paychecks, including Leanne's, for $511.33. All the checks bounced. The Lewises had cashed Leanne's check at a nearby currency exchange. On July 27, 1982, the currency exchange sued them to recover the funds. The exchanges... That that does seem extreme. But... Like a small claims lawsuit? Yeah, I mean, it would have to be small claims, although I don't know what the small claims limit was back then. But the currency exchange sued them. The exchange's attorney recalled the couple's agitated demeanor during a subsequent visit to his office. This is a quote. Give him a break. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, your your company paid, like, anyone's going to be a little, like, they, they didn't do anything. They were just trying to cash their paycheck. Right. And now they're getting sued. So, obviously, they're going to be a little agitated. I'm just saying. Yeah. But this is Anthony Fornell, who was the currency exchange's attorney. They appeared to be more upset than anybody else. 
they were very adamant in their position that they didn't owe the money, that they had worked for it, and that McKay was a crook and should be made to pay. I mean, it's, that's not wrong. Well, it's, it's not wrong, and they ended up just having to pay a $50 fee to the currency exchange. They paid a fee for a, for a check that somebody else wrote that bounced? Yes. Okay. Well, I mean, at least they didn't owe $511. So on September 4th, 1982, using the aliases Karen and William Wagner, the couple paid $221 cash for one-way tickets on an Amtrak train headed for New York City. Two days later, they checked into the Rutledge Hotel in Manhattan as Robert and Nancy Richardson. Really like time. really like that alliteration that they're like, we're we're gonna one of us is gonna have the two two letters that are the same. William Wagner, Robert Richardson. I'm just saying, once you get into the land of changing names, someone's gonna die. Right. <laughs> but on September 29th, the first Tylenol victim died. James Lewis was in New York. So this, uh, I'm sure, all seemed like it was building up to James Lewis having done this. But no, James Lewis was just in New York and decided after seeing the coverage, hey, that's a thing I can capitalize on. And he started planning ways to do that. Here's a corpse I can dismember. Okay, so bottom line, so far we know James, not a businessman. Not a good one. No. The money is always flowing away from him. <laughs> right. Because this whole I can capitalize on murder by saying it's me, mm, I don't know. Yeah, it might not work out. Also, who hears, hey, a bunch of people have died. You know what? I'm going to take responsibility for that right. and turn that to my advantage. But he didn't take responsibility for it. He was trying to get revenge on his wife's ex-boss. I mean, that oh, okay. the guy that's still that, taking advantage of the situation. The guy that wrote him like, a check that bounced. This guy decides, hey, I'll pin a series of murders on him. Of insane, (laughs) high-profile child murders. That'll get him. I mean, it's a little imbalanced, if we're being honest. This is where the envelopes the wife had stamped come into account, because he used those envelopes, as well as McKinney's bank account number, which they had from the check that he had written, and wrote this letter to Johnson & Johnson. Gentlemen, as you can see, it is easy to place cyanide, both potassium and sodium, into capsules sitting on store shelves. And since the cyanide is inside the gelatin, it is easy to get buyers to swallow the bitter pill. Another beauty is that cyanide operates quickly. It takes so very little and there will be no time to take countermeasures. If you don't mind the publicity of these little capsules, then do nothing. So far, I've spent less than $50, and it takes me less than 10 minutes per bottle. If you want to stop the killing, then wire $1 million to bank account number 84495970 at Continental Illinois Bank, Chicago, Illinois. Do not attempt to involve the FBI or local Chicago authorities with this letter. A couple of phone calls by me will undo anything you can possibly do. That is such a dramatic revenge plan. My favorite part of the letter is him pretending that to him $50 isn't a ton of money at the moment. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Like, that's what this whole thing fucking started out. Because that's all they ended up having to pay. Yep. That's the best part of the letter. Well, the wife lost the job. That's future earnings. Future earnings that she's missing out on. But that wasn't what they were mad about. They were just mad about the check. Spend money to make money. Spend money to make money. So if you can believe it, with James not being a, a details guy, as Caitlin <laughs> mentioned, within hours of receiving this letter, the FBI had lifted fingerprints from the document. Uh, they noted the New York City postmark. They scratched away the postmark and found metered postage with an identifying Pitney Bowes number on uh, an old date. The meter, discovered, uh, the meter was owned by Lakeside Travel. The envelope was stamped April 15, 1982. They then discovered the bank account belonged to the Lakeside owner, Frederick McKay. Chicago authorities did question McKay. He denied any involvement. They asked about possible grudge holders, and Robert and Nancy Richardson were the names he gave. Which, wait, 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 wait. that wasn't their names when this no. happened, right? I thought they were using the Lewis names. I'm so confused by their confusion. Yeah, they're, they're bad at this. But a quick check of employment records led the cops to Chicago Tax Service, where Bob Richardson's old application was, 
And uh, just in looking at that application, they knew he wrote this extortion note. So Lewis, with the police on to him, does the the one thing you would do in this situation. Mm -hmm. Uh And he starts firing off letters to local newspapers because this guy's not a smart one. Also, not the first one to do this. Right. Oh, we, we, we skipped a note in there. With his plan not working and him being investigated, he had allegedly sent a death threat to President Ronald Reagan in McKay's name with the self-same stamped envelopes. How many crazies wanted to kill Reagan? I mean, that he's like the, the shitty Bruce Wayne of, <laughs> of presidents. Like, all these insane people that, like, dress up in weird costumes want to kill Ronald Reagan. Does that, wait, does that make Trump shitty penguin? I don't know. I don't know. Okay. I'm just throwing that out there. Fucking Trump, man. Yeah. <laughs> what a nightmare. What a complete nightmare. Trump is worse than everything that's happened in this episode so far. Other than children including dying. the. Oh, okay. So, yeah, he sends a letter to Reagan. He starts firing off letters to newspapers claiming he can help solve the Tylenol crimes. And, of course, this just makes people look at him more. <laughs> And while I'm he not was inconspicuous, he ends up going to prison for sending this Tylenol letter. He goes to prison for extortion, obviously. Uh-huh. While in prison, he asks if he can work as an informant for the FBI to help solve the Tylenol murders. Yeah. So uh, okay, I don't understand this guy's <laughs> reasoning at I all. I do. I do. What is it? I do. He's the worst. He is yeah. that. Okay. He just he just thinks he's worth something for some reason. Yeah, it, it seems like he's one of those guys that thinks he's smarter than everybody else. And it's yes. like, dude, no, we can see the strings. There's the strings. Like, no, no, no. But but I haven't even told you the best part. It's the, that there's not strings. And what what criminals like that never realize is there are people getting away with crimes every day <laughs> who aren't going to prison ah. and having high profile documentaries made about their arrests. Yeah. It's like. You're not the smart ones. You got caught, dummy. Yeah. Like, even if you didn't inevitably go to jail for it, you still had to stand trial and everyone thinks you're a murderer. Yeah. I mean, and that's good enough because that's how justice works in America. I think that most people forget that most criminals are first time criminals, period. Yeah. And then they get caught. Like, that's most things, most bigger things. You know, I mean, shoplifting, probably not, but murder, like bad ransom plans. You really only get one shot at either of those. <laughs> like, yeah. Did, yeah. Did, did you did you pull off a slam dunk the first time you tried? I mean, I know you did. I saw it. It was amazing. First tried what? The first time you tried to 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 slam like to like slam dunk a basketball into a hoop. What? Several feet in the air. I'm yeah, saying I, the first time you try something, you don't generally succeed. That's my point. No. Oh no, no. I'm pr- I'm pretty good at stuff. Yeah. It's just. I mean, it just flows through me. So here's the thing about the FBI. They decide to let this guy help. Help how? Well, they're not letting him help. They think he's going to say something to incriminate himself. Ah. And what they actually find out is he had alibis for all of this shit. And he was just delusional, for one thing. Uh-huh. And was just trying to use the tragedy to get the revenge he thought he deserved. So good news, he is out of prison now. He was released in 1995. In 2010, he wrote a book called Poison, The Doctor's Dilemma, which is about a fictional intentional lead poisoning. For some reason, critics have accused him of exploiting his connection with the Tylenol murders to sell books. Oh, why? Yeah, I don't get it. But here's the scariest thing about the Tylenol murders. Never solved. Oh, well, that's not good. Right? Well, I mean, at least they stopped. Because if I imagine a lot of the advancements in pill bottle design, or maybe one uh, one uh, foggy afternoon, our our pillsman, uh, our pillsmith, as you were, maybe he wasn't feeling too well. Maybe he was feeling a little under the weather, a little down, run down, and he thought, you know what would what would ease my suffering in this moment is, is a little aspirin, you know, uh, a little, uh, uh, little, you know what? I've got just the thing. But here's the thing. He swapped the bottles. And he wasn't paying attention, and he and he accidentally took one of the one of the no no pills that he'd been working on. Is this a suicide story? Is this an accident? I'm, yeah, I'm not following this I'm at all. I'm saying maybe he accidentally poisoned himself. 
Okay, that is what you're saying. He's that alive. That is what I'm saying. He's alive. He's not dead. But we don't know. You don't know. I do actually have a... a Are you friends th- with this guy? I do have a theory about this. Let's hear it. I do think he did it. And what I think happened is in when he returned the pills, instead of putting them in front where they would be purchased right away, he just put them near the back of the shelf where it's going to take some time for people to buy them and finally get to that bottle. That gives him time to go from Chicago to New York, knowing that in a matter of weeks, someone is going to buy that bottle of Tylenol and die, and then he can start the revenge portion of it. I mean, does he have any chemistry know-how? Do you need chemistry know-how to put... To create cyanide? I don't think you have to create it. It's a thing. Who's selling cyanide? I don't know. Ask James Lewis. He's out of prison now. the 80s. Everybody could get Uh, anything in the 80s. Yeah, Amazon. That's right. The CIA was selling cyanide in poor neighborhoods in Los Angeles in the 80s. No, that was that was crack. It was crack cocaine. Agree to disagree again, danger. Mm. Jesus. I mean, crack cocaine, it's poison. Absolutely. That is no you good. Know, Adam, you're going to get all of us audited. Ideally, yeah. I'm trying. I'm a, I'm a plant for the IRS. Wow. I just go out and try to get people audited. Hey, so that's the Tylenol murders. We still uh, have no idea what happened. The killer has never been brought to justice. Unless it was James Lewis, in which case the killer has never been brought to justice and he pulled off a amazing crime. I think that, like, if if someone thought it out that much and then committed the rest of their life to being complete boneheads, I don't know, it just doesn't add up. Like, I don't think people have flashes of genius like that amidst just a lifetime of royally screwing up. Well, I I mean... I think that... The possibility is that somebody else did this and then killed themselves. Occam's razor, baby. That's that's kind of what I think. I you... think that. Well, here's why I think that. <laughs> Go because on, and then I'll yell at danger. <laughs> my guess is that they didn't plan on killing kids. Mm. That's what I think. I, I I think that if you're stuffing things in Tylenol bottles, you're still imagining adults. And I don't think that this person thought they were going to kill kids. And they did. And that was it. Because if they enjoyed it, they would have kept doing it. (laughs) Right. Let's talk about Occam's razor danger. (laughs) Sure. How would that apply to what Caitlin said? Uh, In the sense that the more the the, the, the simplest you, solution the is simplest solution would be person. that the guy who took credit for it and lived in the area where it happened and then fled, I think under Occam's razor, that would be the guy. But he was in New York when the thing happened, like you said. But he didn't I, I I just explained how that like all you would have to do instead of putting the when you take the pills back, instead of putting them at the front of the shelf, you put them in the back. People are gonna have to buy Tylenol over the course of a few days or weeks before they get to those bottles you put in the back, and that gives you time to get out of town and be like, I wasn't even fucking there when it happened. I feel like we have equally plausible theories. That's what I think. And I think what we should do next is go test them. (laughs) (laughs) I think we have a pair of Occam's Racers. More like Occam's Racers. Oh! And it was just racing to the conclusion. I don't know. Okay. Coming to Netflix this fall. Occam's Racers. Everything is coming to Netflix. That's the name of this episode. No, it's not. That's terrible for SEO purposes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, don't do that. And it would be... Yeah, okay. It's going to make... I feel like there's been a hundred episodes of television named Occam's Razor. It might be a good SEO move. Yeah, Probably. All right, so we should wrap this up. I feel like we're not going to solve the Tylenol murders on this episode. From this room? We could meet up. I already did. Check the suicides. People, the suicides. The suicides in 1980. The fresh suicide data of 1982. Yep. All right. What do we have to plug before we get out of here? Uh, I got a baby coming. What? (laughs) Why is this the first I'm hearing of this? Um, I don't know. I just, it's, you know, it's a ma- it's a male dominated industry. I haven't really wanted to, you know, sure, make sure. a thing, Sorry. but since this Harvey Weinstein stuff broke out, I feel empowered and I feel like sharing. And the baby's doing a set, what, at Nerd Melt? <laughs> yeah. Doing, like yeah. Comedy he's store? Got, yeah, he's, he's got a type five. I'm so, proud. She's going to deliver it at the comedy store. Ooh, that's a, that's no, a deliver that is, it. Deliver him. He, yeah. He's, yeah. A, he's, he's a, a human child with a name. 
to the store, and I can't let that happen. Maybe the improv. I feel like the improv is a little clean. What else do we have to – we have a live podcast October 28th at the Hollywood Hotel. That should be cool. Oh, I'm so jealous. It's going to be so much fun. It's also a Halloween party, so wear a costume. We're going to be giving out prizes. Connor McSpadden and Keith Carey and Travis Clark and Chet Wilde are going to be telling jokes. Hey. Straight, wait, straight white male comedy hour <laughs> before the live podcast with me, Jeff, Quincy, and Carrie. Mm-hmm. Oh, come to that. That and, uh, should be excellent. Also, I will... Nope. This will already be up by then, so never mind. Okay. What about you, Danger? Uh, well, I mean, everybody should go to the live taping on the 28th because it's going to be amazing, and there will be a costume function. Uh, but everybody the night before on the 27th needs to come to the Nerd Rockers Ball at the Angel City Brewery. Starts at 7 o'clock. We've got Adam Todd Brown being, the, I think, the only straight, straight white guy uh, on there. We've got... Uh, yeah. Oh, thank you. We got Tamer Catan, uh, Keith Carey, Riley Silverman, and Vanessa Gritton telling jokes. Oh, that's a fun lineup. That's, oh. You guys definitely go to that. That's a great lineup. I'm so yep. excited. I'm so excited. Um, and then uh, we've got Gentlemen Prefer Blood, countless thousands, of course, and Memphis Vampires uh, playing music thereafter. We're going to have a costume contest. All that good stuff. You can also see Countless Thousands on uh, the 20th at the Lost Nights. That will also be a costume thing, although I don't have any more information about that offhand. But please go to the Nerd Rockers Ball because it's my and Adam's function, and it's a big deal, and we love you. And uh, it's free. It's free. The Nerd Rockers Ball is free. Just come. We got it. Yeah. It's going to be a really good time. All right. Let's get the fuck out of here. Cool. Danger. Say goodbye. Thank you so so much for having me on this wonderful program. That is not what I asked you to say. Goodbye. Caitlin, say goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye, everybody. We love you. Enjoy your baby. Thanks.